Good evening, and welcome to Celebration Church for our Wednesday night Bible study. All you that are here, as well as those over in Stevens Point, Appleton, on the internet, uh, small groups, and uh, all over the world. It's stunning how many people <laughs> watch these things. Uh, anyway, uh, let's open a word of prayer. You all may seated because I don't know when people are standing or not in the other world. So. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your word that you've given us to give us instruction. Give us insights, we pray, into a successful Christian living and what you really have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can pass the offering buckets here and at the other campuses, and I don't know what's going on in the rest of it. But anyway, <clears throat> we are in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. For those of you who are kind of new to what we're doing, now we're going through the book of Acts, and everywhere during the book of Acts that Paul, or that anybody wrote any of these epistles, we stop right there, we go to when that epistle was written, and uh, we go through it one verse at a time and take a look at what they were saying. The Bible, sadly, is not uh, laid out in chronological order. I do not know why it is not. It is highly frustrating that it is not. If you try and just start in Genesis and read it through, it will be almost impossible for you to understand what in the world is going on because it's not in order. Everything's all out of order. I don't know why they do that. It is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> they have chronological Bibles. You can actually get them. Or you can go online and just get what's the chron chronological order of the Bible and it'll print out to you in three seconds. Boom, there it is. And if you actually read it in order, it makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, the New Testament starts out in or order. The Old Testament does as well and ends in order, but the, the New Testament is the same thing. It starts out with the Gospels and the book of Acts, and then everything's just all over the place until you get to Revelation, and then that's the last book. So why is that way? I don't know. We're putting it in order for you. Uh, we've gone through the first, second, and now third missionary journey of Paul. Paul, taken off from Antioch, he comes to Ephesus, he hangs there for a while, hears about problems in Corinth, and he writes the first letter to the Corinthians, because they're all jacked up. We went through it. Uh, he got up to here, and he, now he's writing the second letter to the Corinthians, which we're, which we're reading now. He eventually gets down here. That's when he writes the book of Romans, which will be next. Uh, he was a very busy boy on this trip, doing all kinds of writing. Uh, he eventually gets back. He comes to Jerusalem, gets arrested, and they drag him off to Rome. So we all got to go through all of that yet. So, uh, so we are in the second uh, letter to the Corinthians, which, without trying to get you really confused, if you look at it, it's actually his third letter. We don't know the first letter. In first, what we call first, because the first one we have, first and second, is actually the second and third. Because in the first one, he talks about the previous letter he wrote. Nobody knows where it is. Nobody's ever seen it. Where it is, we have no idea. So it's kind of the, the missing letter to the Corinthians. He does give us a quick synopsis about what he said. But, uh, so he writes off these three letters to them. So here's, here we now in uh, our second Corinthians, his third letter to them. He's on his way to see them, uh, but he's not there yet. In 1 Corinthians, he was very strong and was really smacking him up outside the head for really bad behavior throughout the church. When we get to 2 Corinthians, he's spending much more time in theology and explaining who we are in Christ and what the Christian experience is about, and it's great. But throughout the letter, and these are just letters, all these epistles, fancy word for letter, when he's writing these letters, as he's writing this letter, he keeps jumping into this defensive mode. He'll talk about one thing and all of a sudden he starts defending himself about who he is. And then he'll go a little bit longer and he starts defending uh, who he is. And he just starts jumping back and forth. Uh, and you have to understand, he likely did not sit and write this all in one hour. You know, who knows how long it took him to uh, either physically write it or uh, dictate it to someone else. And I'm sure that's why all of a sudden you see these real big chains in thought. Uh, he wasn't forgetful or schizophrenic. <laughs> just, you know, he'd finish up a thought and then he'd come back who knows when later and pick it up and then it kind of changes. So these things change. But the one thing that keeps coming back is this defense. The reason he's defending himself is because there's a bunch of people in Corinth who still don't like him. Now we've theorized why they didn't like him. It wouldn't surprise me if modern Christians today would not like him. Paul was a pretty intense feller, if you, what is that word? Hey, feller. He was pretty intense and not everybody liked him. Uh, and uh, trying to understand who it is that he didn't like. It's a little difficult to understand. We're about to get into a really big part of it uh, right now. Before we do that, let's finish up the, the final thoughts. We rushed, we rushed through this last time. In chapter 9, he's talking about this uh, offering that they're taking up for the, the, the churches, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem. They were in deep financial trouble. 
doesn't say why they were in deep financial trouble, it's just that they were. I hypothesize one of the reasons they were in deep financial trouble is because they basically started out as a big commune. They were, they were the first communists. <laughs> Seriously. And not by force. <laughs> Today they do it by force. But they all just had everything and everybody shared everything. They all thought Jesus was coming right back. You know, like he's going for milk or something. They didn't know when he's coming back. It could be a couple of days, it could be weeks. I mean, I think they were shocked when the five-year mark hit. I think they were stunned out of their minds. Ten years. What? He's not back. I mean, it, because they really thought it was going to happen right away. But the problem with socialism, if you will, is that eventually you run out of other people's money. That is even true to this day. Social systems start out great, and then you eventually wind up with, uh, you know, Venezuela and the Soviet Union. They all collapse eventually. Europe is on the verge of collapsing. The U.S. has got to follow the same insane footsteps. Uh, It all works great in theory. Take from the people who don't, who have, give it to the people who do. Uh, Of course, we do it by force in governments, but the problem is eventually people run out of money and everything falls apart. All of a sudden, they are in big trouble financially. Uh, So they start taking offerings and sending it to Jerusalem. Then he goes into this whole theology thing in chapter 9 about giving. I won't go into it again, but the power of giving and why you give. And if you will give generously, God will bless you generously. If you give a little, God will bless you a little. It just works that way. A lot of people say, well, if God would just bless me big, then I'd give big. Oh, God, help me just win the lottery, and I'll really give. All kinds of people, millions of Christians think like that. But it's absurd. Uh, First of all, God isn't going to give you hundreds of millions of dollars. Because you'd probably destroy yourself. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. God, give me a bunch of money, and then I can give. Uh, you know, it just doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. You're generous, and God blesses that. So we went into all that. Uh, so let's go in chapter 9, verse 12, as he wraps this up. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul would talk about this idea of thanks. He loved to do things that caused people to thank God. Because apparently God likes that. He likes to hear people say thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you. So you see someone in the church who's really struggling and you help that person, chances are that person is going to be filled with what? Thankfulness. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And, and this is a positive thing. The kinder we are to one another, the kinder we are to those in need in our community, not through you know, some government program, but just seeing needs and responding to those needs, those who do have, helping those who don't. He talks about it here, but not under compulsion. Remember, he said giving is not about a compulsion. It's about doing it out of your heart. Uh, When you do that, it results in lots of thanksgiving to God, which just blesses God's heart. Believe it or not, God loves to hear you thank him and to praise him. And he loves that. He just does. You know, he just... It lights him up, you know, that's the gathering of the church. That's, that's why in all throughout eternity, when you, when you look in the book of Revelation, they're just celebrating and thanking God, and there's like this massive party going on for eternity. Uh, he loves it. He just loves it because people are doing it freely of their hearts. So he says this whole thing that you're doing is going to result in many expressions of thanks. That's why he loves it. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel in Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go... I'm sorry. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right? Then, boom, we hit... You know, I don't know if he goes away for lunch, comes back later. I don't know what the deal is. He comes back, and now he goes into this defense again. Only now, you know, we're talking two, three chapters here. He just goes off big time. Uh, He's sarcastic. He's defensive. And he's threatening. And uh, you think, well, those aren't very very Christian tendencies. Apparently, they are, because he was able to do it. Uh, I don't know what, how he pulls it off, but he was ticked by these people. We don't know exactly what he's responding to. We can only guess. Some of it is just some people who are jerks towards Paul. Others are false prophets that are sneaking their way into the church and trying to discredit Paul. Paul goes and builds this incredible church. Then the devil sends in these wolves in sheep clothing. They start taking advantage of people. He starts addressing them. Uh, You know, people would criticize him. And Paul starts responding to it defensively and sarcastically, uh, as he hinted at already several times in this letter. So here we go now, chapter 10, kicking into defensive mode. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, 
I appeal to you. I, Paul, he's being sarcastic. You'll see in a second. I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face to face with you, but, quote, bold towards you when away, exclamation point. He's being a smart aleck here. What he's responding to are people, I'm dinging here. Hold on a second, sorry. Shut up my iPhone. I have the attention span of a fly. There, okay. So uh, apparently people were saying, oh yeah, Paul talks a really great talk when he's away. Oh yeah, he likes to write these really tough letters, but when he shows up, he's nothing. So Paul says, I, Paul, who am, quote, timid with you face to face, but bold when I'm away from you. They're basically calling him a coward. All right, that's what you do to someone. Pretty tough. Now, there are people who are cowards. Uh, they, you can always tell because they're very bold from a distance. All right? You want to see cowards? Read stuff online. All right? People who make all these bold things because nobody knows who they are. And the more anonymous they are, the bolder they are. I think these are a bunch of neutered people sitting in their chairs in their basement, 35 years of old age, still working, you know, living with mom. You know, and, hey, what are you blankety blanking, present shake? You know, you, you know, if you met them, they probably wouldn't make eye contact because they're so afraid of people. So I, I don't know. They're just, they're just, it's just pathetic. So people are very bold when they're far away. Uh, I get some of the boldest letters I get. I promise you, the boldest letters, I'm talking physical letters that I get, uh, are never signed. with no return addresses. Oh, are they bold. Oh, are they strong. Oh, they just rebuke me. Frezen, frezen, shagin, frezen, shagin, shagin. You know, which, you know, I don't understand. Let me give you some advice. As a pastor. The Bible says, these people are so righteous. They quote the Bible and just start rebuking. Here's a verse they don't quote. You should never rebuke an elder, but you should entreat him as a father. That verse apparently has escaped their mentality, all right? I got to tell you, I have never, I can't think of ever taking a pastor and chewing him out. And I had some pastors that were complete nitwits. But I, I just, who does that? Especially, you know, some of these guys, you know, 30, 40 years of age, which to me is still in diapers, all right? Yelling at some pastor in the 60s, you see a flag And I think, what version of Christianity is this? See, there's no respect. These people have no respect. Okay? At a minimum, have respect. If you're that concerned, come talk to me. But do it as you would talk to your father, right? Dad, you know, we love you. You're a little crazy. But we're trying to help you. You know, that's fine. I can hear that. But this rebuking, really? Well, you're so spiritual. You know, let's rip out that part of the Bible, throw that away so that you can quote all these other verses. Who does that? You know, the only pastor I routinely rebuked was my brother, who was the pastor of the church I was at for a while. But uh, I was his older brother, and I rebuked him because I thought he was an idiot, all right? But that's from one brother talking to another brother, you know? We, brother, we talked about it. We always talk to each other this way. You're a moron. No, you're a moron. You're a bigger moron. No, you know, I mean, that's the way we talk. So many people could never handle being around our family, I promise you. We insult each other in glorious ways. It's highly entertaining. In fact, that's why we do it. It is true. First of all, men in general insult each other. All right? Women don't do that. You get a bunch of women together and they might hate each other's guts. And they'll say nice things to each other. Oh, I like your hair. Even though they hate her hair, you know. I like your shoes. I'd rather die than wear those shoes. I, you know, and, you know, and they're all just saying these polite things. But men, I, right? You know, we walk up to each other. You smell. Really? You smell worse. You're ugly. Yeah, well, you're fat. You know, that's, that's communication to a man. Right? You add the brother thing to it, and, uh, and then it really gets nasty. All right? So th- he was my brother. That's why I insulted him. I still do it to this day. All right, so... But generally, just don't run around rebuking pastors. A little respect. Well, I disagree. Okay. But the Bible says don't rebuke them. You talk to them as you would to your father. All right? Anyway, Paul makes this appeal as he goes along. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Uh, It's an implied threat. 
He keeps it up, by the way. <laughs> it gets worse. Uh, some people are going to have to be a little bold with them. Now, I don't know what he did. I know one thing. You talking to a guy who can raise the dead and cast out devils and heal cancer and just... The Bible says that some of these apostles, like Peter, you know, just his shadow would cross you and you'd instantly be healed. Someone walking around with that much power, I wouldn't try to tick them off. <laughs> right? And I don't know what these people are thinking. So Paul's kind of hinting here. I'll deal with these guys when I show up. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. There's a nice scripture here. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, and then he goes on, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now, he's going to show up. Once we got the right guys straight, I'm going to deal with these guys. So he's really threatening them. Now, let's back up to this previous verse because we're getting a bit of theology here that he throws. He talks about, look, it, our, in everybody's life as Christians, we don't wrestle against people. Our fight isn't really against people. It's against uh, principalities and powers and stuff like that, which, which is what he teaches a lot. Even though he's dealing with people here, he's implying that they are being inspired by bad things. He says, I'm going to deal with them when I get there. I don't know what he does. I don't know. I wouldn't mess with him even if I didn't like him, and I don't think I'd like him, based on how intense he was all the time. I don't like really intense people. They make me crazy. You know, lighten up. He'd, he'd probably turn me into a frog or something. I don't know. You know so I, just, I wouldn't mess with, with Paul. But uh, he says that we take every captive, uh, every thought captive, and make it obedient to Christ. That's a great lesson there. You could preach whole sermons out there. I got whole books on this. It's, I won't get into the weeds in it. I will say this. The key to you living a successful Christian life starts right here. If you don't control the thoughts in your head, you're never going to succeed at this. At some point, you need to take control of the thoughts in your head. And you can, because you have that power within you, because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And you just constantly let your thoughts going crazy and bad thoughts all over the place. It's not good for you. You need to learn to bring your thoughts to the obedience of Christ so that you can truly succeed in your faith. People who are truly successful Christians do this all the time. They learn. At some point, they learned, I take captive the thoughts in my head. I don't want this stuff knocking me around. The people who struggle, and I'm sure many of you I'm talking to struggle, uh, are people, every thought that comes in your head, you get upset about everything. You know, what if this happened? You're full of fear, insecure. You're constantly reliving all the bad stuff that happened to you 40 years ago, you know. Really, at some point, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to learn to take those things captive and make those thoughts obedient to Christ. You, start, you resist those things in the name of Jesus. Uh, James wrote it. He says, if, if you need to resist God or resist the devil uh, and he will flee from you. You need to draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. That's the thing. Draw close to God, resist the devil. There's a resisting thing. This happens in here. The battlefield of your mind, I promise you, is where what really ultimately determines your success as a believer. So that means you need to be careful with what you stick in here, okay? If you never read the Bible, and all you ever do, the only Bible you ever hear is when you come listen to me for you know, 45 minutes or just Sunday morning for 25 minutes, that's not enough for you. And if everything else, you're constantly watching and listening and reading bad things, it's gonna mess with your head. If your version of relationships is from watching soap operas or something like that, and a lot of people that is, you're gonna just be jacked up. You're going to be crazy. You know, you spend no time thinking about the right thing but watching shows that are really bad, that push bad things and bad values, but you let this just constantly seep in your head. It's going to have a bad effect on you. You know, the little children's song, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you... Whoops. <laughs> be careful ear what you hear. Be careful little mouth. These things, they have an impact on you. Watch, you need to become the guardian of what comes into your head. And you don't need me walking around looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing the right things. At some point, you need to control yourself. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. I don't look at this because this is not good for me. There's some things I don't look, they're not good for me. I know it. 
Maybe you can look at it, it doesn't bother you. I, it bothers me, so I, I know. I just don't look at it, okay? Quite frankly, uh, last month or so, I quit watching the news. Right? Because it was making me crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm stressed out and depressed, like some of you, because you listen to all this nonsense. I quit listening to it all, because it makes me crazy. You know? And just, you know, I'm slightly offended. I don't get offended, but slightly offended by these 10 idiots who tend to tell everybody in the world what to think. You know, I'm sick of it. Stuff it. And I just turn it off. And I start enjoying normal thoughts. And it's a wonderful thing. Now, you say, I can watch it. I like watching it. It doesn't bother. Okay, good. Good for you. I just, I can't stand it. It makes me crazy. Driving me crazy is a short drive. All right. So, all of this stuff. He, again, I, again, I could preach a whole series on that. I'm not going to do that now, but I'm just, this thing about what, what, what thoughts you allow. If the devil is going to destroy you, he'll start right in your head. He'll fill you with doubts. He'll fill you with negative thoughts. You know, just constantly. He'll, you know how you're really going to bad thing? Bad. Somebody ticks you off. And for the next six hours, you're thinking in your head, Boy, if I got a chance to it, I'd say it this way again. I'd stuff that guy in the face. And, I just, and you're constantly reliving all this nonsense. You know, nothing's actually happened. But in your head, you've beat the snot out of somebody 20 times. All right? You know what I'm talking about. We've all done it. Don't do it. Stop. Stop reliving crazy stuff. Get control of what's in your head. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. All right. Uh, so then he goes, verse 7, he says, now you guys are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what's going on. But apparently these people are claiming to be so spiritual. Oh, we really love, love Jesus and stuff like that. And we love Jesus too. You know? Again, there's this thing where people get mad and they make you the enemy. You're the enemy. I'm not anybody's enemy. Well, I disagree with you about something. Okay, it doesn't make me your enemy. You know, this thing of just going at each other's throats is, oh my goodness gracious. So even, I, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. Really? <laughs> you remember 1 Corinthians? That was a little frightening, you know. He says, for some say, well, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Wow. Wow. It's like some of the emails I get. Wow. Holy cow. Really? Be nice. Well, I didn't like what you said. Okay, get in line. Good grief. Look, I just tell you what I think. Right? I tell you what I think. But I always make a determination, a distinction between what I think and what the Bible says. If you hear me say something you don't like about what I think, it's just what I think. I don't like the Bible and hammer people about stuff that I think. Okay? We all disagree about something. It's fine. I'm just telling my opinion. All right? Unless it's what the Bible says. Then I, tell, I, I, I use force then. Now, such people, and it's interesting, too. He talks about this thing about his speaking means nothing, and he defends himself. Okay, maybe I'm not that good of a speaker. He's going to say in a little bit. Uh, hard to imagine, actually. He's so highly intelligent, and he writes so incredibly. I mean, just reading it 2,000 years later, I mean, this is one smart dude. Speaks, I don't know how many languages. He's one of the most highly educated men of his day. But apparently, he wasn't really that impressive of a speaker. Okay? Then there are those of us who are really good speakers and really not all that smart. All right? So, but everybody liked the nice speaking guy and didn't like the... So, I don't know. They're criticizing for this. They're going after him. Who they are, I don't know. Such people should realize that uh, what we are in our letters when we are absent will be in our actions when we are present. He threatens them again. Okay? Again, if there's anybody I'm going to mess with, it's not one of these apostles. I don't know what they're thinking. Good grief. Would you mess with one of these guys? I'd be scared to death to be around them. I'd be afraid they'd be think, hearing everything I'm thinking. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Uh, I read that for, I don't know how long today, I still don't understand what he's talking about. 
But anyway, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. These are people who basically, they are their own standard of what is good or bad. And before you think that's really odd, isn't that what everybody does? Right? We all think we're right. Why would I think something that's wrong? <laughs> right? Sometimes you meet somebody who's just really crazy. Man, you are deceived. And they always say, well, I don't feel deceived. <laughs> Clearly, they don't understand the meaning of the word. Deceived means you think something that's wrong, and you don't know it. Well, I don't think I'm deceived. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so everybody thinks what they think is good. Everybody thinks my perspective is right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be our perspective, right? It takes a lot of work to change your perspective. Ask me, I do this for a living. It takes a lot of work trying to get people to think differently, okay? And, uh, and thankfully, the word of God is very powerful in changing the way people think. But these guys, Paul's criticized, man, you guys just, you know, you judge yourself by yourself, you know? You know um, which is not wise. Because you could be a moron. <laughs> you don't know you're a moron. Do morons know they're morons? I don't think they do. The morons I know don't know they're morons, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they don't know it. They think they're fabulous. Right? We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our, boasti- confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that includes you. So he said, I'm, just, I'm not going to boast about things I don't have any control over. Any boasting I'm going to do is really in the ministry that God is giving them, and they were part of that. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far, uh, for we did get as, far as you with the gospel of Christ. So he says, I, I wouldn't be messing with you guys and speaking and being so bold to tell you how to live or what not to do, especially in this first letter, the second letter, but the first letter we see. He's very strong. But he says, I have the liberty to do that. I'm like your father, he said previously, right? I have a right to say some of these things to you. I'm not just some guy off the street. In fact, it is the guys off the street that are messing with your heads. And that's literally what was happening. Paul leaves, and then these other guys come. Some of them were just arrogant. Some were proudful. Some were evil, uh, false teachers. Some were just, you know, being jerks, uh, you know. And they're having, everybody's listening to them. Hey, wait a minute, I started this thing is what he's saying. How come you wouldn't listen to me? Uh, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting. Uh, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope, he tried to keep it based on, on the work that he was doing. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He's quoting from Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, Old Testament scripture there. For it, is not, uh, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Okay, all that to say, it doesn't matter what I think of myself or what anybody else thinks, and you certainly judging yourself by your own standards is not wise to do. You don't know if you're an idiot or not, okay? What happens is when God starts to commend you and God approves you and God blesses your life and God starts to... This is the standard that you know that God is blessed. If God's not blessing you, there's a chance, just possibly, that you're not doing the right thing. I mean, really, it is. I know a lot of people, they, and it's hard to figure it out sometimes, because sometimes uh, people struggle because Satan's actually fighting them, okay? And people say, well, you know, I'm under such attack. Really, how long have you been under attack? For 20 years. It might be you, okay? I'm just saying, oh, Really? Sometimes what we think is under attack isn't an attack. You suck at this. Something's wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. Let us show you how to do it. Don't just claim, you know, pray for me, the devil's attacking me. People do this. People, there are people I know God is, there's no question in my mind, God is disciplining them, smacking them upside the head, just like the, Paul writes later. He says, just like a father would smack a kid who's backing. Some of the smacking some of y'all get is not the devil. It is God smacking you upside the head. And don't feel bad about that. Paul said, if God never smacks you upside the head, that's a bad sign. How many of you can honestly say, you know of times God has smacked you upside the head? Oh, good, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. If you're like, oh, I've never been a work, that's a bad sign. <laughs> it is, because Paul literally says this, and I'm quoting the King James. I, don't, I think he probably even used it here. Uh, 
He said, if God doesn't ever smack you upside the head, it means you're a bastard. Not a curse word, bastard. A bastard is someone who doesn't have a father. If God never smacks you upside the head, you might be a spiritual bastard. You're not really born again, right? You gotta look at the results. We just don't do this and not examine what's happening. You look for God's approval in your life and blessing. Do you know how you can tell? How can you tell if you're praying the right prayers? Can anybody know? Over in Stephen's point, I can't hear you, so. Anybody here? How do you know if you're praying the right prayers? They're answered. It's just that simple. That, and we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to those epistles later. This is how you know you're praying the right prayers. Well, actually, we had it in James earlier. We went through it. Uh, this is how you know, if you're, because you get your prayers answered. That's how you know. Well, I've been praying for the same thing for 20 years, and God's not answering my prayer. You might want to move on. Some of, I'm seriously, some people that you've prayed, and 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 you've prayed for years. And, now, some, again, there's a fine line here. Some people need to be consistent and persistent in their prayers. But this is where you get wisdom. That's why you need to ask advice from other people. Don't compare yourself by yourself. If you're the final judge of what's going on, that's not a good thing. Talk to people you respect. Talk to elders. Talk to pastors in the church. Talk to leaders in the church. Establish the Christians. Man, I've been really praying about this. Here's the situation. What do you think of that? And they might say, I don't know. That doesn't sound like a really good prayer. You see what I'm saying? But if you never ask, if all you say was just, you need to pray for me because I'm not getting my prayers answered. If you're not ever getting your prayers answered, you're probably praying the wrong thing. That's why God doesn't answer your lottery prayer. Now, if he starts giving you the lottery, I'd say, you know, they're praying the right prayer. And, and if that happens, praise the Lord. Forget, don't, don't forget to tithe. That's all I gotta say. But they pray about things that never happen. They pray, and, and that, that's how, you, so at some point, what he's saying, at the end of the day, all that matters is what God thinks of what we're doing. That's what he's saying. We can argue, you guys can judge yourself by yourself. I, he says, I don't even try to judge myself. At the end of the day, we look at God's blessing, God's uh, approval of what we're doing. If God is blessing your life and you're succeeding and your prayers are answered, I know we all have struggles and I know we have our attacks of the devil. I know I get that. The testing of our faith, we all go through that. I hate that. I hate the testing. Right? I do. I hate it. At 61, I think we should get a pass. Right? Some of you geezers like my age, right? Shouldn't it? Okay, enough with the tests. But apparently it doesn't stop. I don't like the tests. I never did in school. That's the worst part of school was tests. Because it revealed my ignorance. When you look at the page and go, I don't know. <laughs> That's a bad sign. Happened to me a lot. You pray for multiple joys. Right? No, you pray for true or false. Because that's 50 50. You see, I say multiple choice. You only got a 25% shot of getting this thing right, right? So uh, the tests, I don't like the tests, never have, still don't like them. So we get that, but at the end of the day, is your life being blessed? Is God blessing you? Are you succeeding? Look, we all have the, the trials of life. I get that. I get that. Don't figure everything bad to you is just. Look, we live in this earth. You know, you eat really spicy food too late, you're probably going to be miserable all night long with heartburn. That, that, that's not the devil. <laughs> it's not. The devil's in me. I can feel it burning. No, you don't eat pepperoni at 11.30 at night. <laughs> well, see, the problem with common sense is it's not very common anymore. Right? We're like, we're all jacked up. What the heck? Listen to people. Don't be arrogant. Ask people's advice. It's good to ask advice. You know, really successful business people are always asking advice. They do it all the time. They have groups where they all get together and they just ask each other's advice all the time. They're always interacting. They want well, better ideas. How do you do this? Wise people don't go around saying, I know everything. Wise people go around saying, what do you think? Did you hear that? Did you catch that? That was good. Somebody rewind that. All right? Wise people do not go around saying how smart they are. Wise people are always asking, what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think? That's a wise person because they're asking for input. Not that they disagree with everything that's told to them, but they like to hear perspectives and things like that. That is wisdom. All right, continuing on, chapter 11. 
Paul says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, Now, when we talk about jealousy, uh, jealousy means, the, the good definition of jealousy is intolerant of unfaithfulness. You should all have, if you're married, you should have some jealousy. Intolerant of unfaithfulness. My wife would be intolerant. She, she would be upset if I started dating other women. So unflexible, that woman. <laughs> into, that's a good jealousy. When God says that he's a jealous God, it's not that he's insecure. There's an insecure kind of a jealousy. You know what I'm saying? Those people, they're a little crazy. I know some of them really well. I mean, if their husband so much as walks into a room with a pretty girl, they come unglued. Oh, we gotta leave, we gotta leave. Because they're so insecure. Good grief. I had one of them just read me once because there's a picture of this lady. You know, oh, I can't remember what the thing was. Man, hey, look at this chick, you know. She was mazzarded. It wasn't a naked. She was just a pretty, I can't figure out what the point was. Something about something. You know, here's this person who's very insecure. Look at how pretty this lady is. There's a, wow, really? She's insecure? I mean, you know, women, who understands them? Anyway, uh, but she just freaked out because she's so insecure. You know, she, she won't go into place. Uh, we tried to go somewhere, and she wouldn't go in the building with her husband. Why? Because there's pretty ladies in there. You know, when you're that insecure, you are what we would call crazy, Okay? So don't, don't be crazy. Don't be insecure, paranoid. Somebody's always better than me. I got news for you. There's always somebody better than you. Get over it. Right? Apparently, there's men better looking than me. <laughs> I've never met them, but it's, it's out there. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the big deal? Well, she's prettier than I am. Yeah. <laughs> so What? There's always somebody with nicer hair, prettier face, bigger boobs, nicer butt, nicer legs, prettier feet than you. So what? Who cares? Don't be insecure, but don't be tolerant of unfaithfulness. Ah, hey. Over here, buddy. All right? Lady says, I don't like like it when my husband looks at other women. Well, slap him. Right? Just, you know, he says, Dish. some pretty lady walks in the room, just go, Dish. I say, okay, okay, I ain't looking at nothing. I ain't looking at nothing. Just, uh, Dish. That's all you got to do. Dish. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, so, <laughs> so Paul was intolerant of unfaithfulness. He didn't want them to become unfaithful to Christ. And he says, I fear that you're falling into bad traps because they're listening to people. Now, he's referring to some of these bad people. He says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. These guys tolerate, you're tolerating these false teachers coming in here. Don't put up with this stuff. Somebody comes up, you know what Jesus is really like, starts describing something off the wall. You don't listen to him. Trying to fill you with all this craziness. He says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. He's being sarcastic again. All right, these guys are so super, these apostles. They're not really apostles at all. He said, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker. Again, I'm kind of shocked by that. I would always assume he was an amazing speaker. Apparently, he was at times very boring. We're going to read in the book of Acts. One time he's preaching for a long time. Some preachers apparently never showed up. A guy's in a rafter. He falls asleep and he falls so far down he kills himself. Now he gets killed. He didn't kill himself. He just fell. He's preaching. 
and he's going so long, this guy just falls, and he goes, smash! And he's dead as a doornail. You know what Paul does? He goes over, and he raises him from the dead and keeps preaching. <laughs> I would think, take a hint, right? But I ain't said nothing. He's going to turn me into a frog, right? I ain't saying nothing. You go, Paul. Seriously, when people stop dropping over dead, it's time to wrap it up. This is my personal advice. My personal advice. You people dropping dead, it's not good. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. I'll bet he's a very smart man. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it, uh, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? He says, I robbed other churches. Now, he didn't rob them. <laughs> okay. Listen through here. I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. So people did support Paul. Now, that's the first time we hear about this because by and large, he would support himself. He, would, uh, he was a tent maker. And the guys working with him, they all worked hard and they made their own living. But then he did take, it's the first time we see it, that he did take some support for others. He said, I took support from these other people so I could serve you. But he would never take money from the people he was ministering to at any given time. Uh, he always taught it is absolutely right and just for pastors to be preached out of the offerings that people give. He absolutely, and, and we'll see it, he lays it out very, very clearly. But he says, but I won't do it. Not going to take it. Unless anybody says that I was doing it for money. Or somebody can hold some kind of power over me and stuff like that. Uh, in a way, it's, it's a great thing that he's able to talk about, and he talks about it quite a bit here. Um, uh, I know a lot of pastors, the reason they're so fearful is uh, they fear for their livelihood. And, and it's true. I mean, the money the church gives them, that's the only money, that's the only way they can make a living. And if they say something where somebody gets upset and they wind up getting fired... Because in most churches, the people can hire and fire pastors. Uh, we don't play that stupid game here, but they, they do in most churches. Uh, they're scared to death for their lives and for their children and for their wives. And so, so that's why some of them become so milk toast. They will tell me in private what they really think, but they would never, ever say it. And they often, you know, I, I get questioned, how, how do you do it? How do you say the things you say? Uh, well, because I don't live in that fear, you see, but it's just me, you know, in my particular situation. Actually, up until a year ago, I have not taken a salary basically for 15 years pastoring. I've supported myself entirely. I still get the bulk of my salary from my own earnings and workings. But the church, uh, everybody said, look, this isn't right. We should be given, just so that we get in the habit of paying for a pastor, because if you drop over dead tomorrow, we'll be so structured financially. It's like, you, you, you never set anything aside, you can't make the bills, you know what I'm saying? So it's an organization, so I said, okay, fine, great, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But I, I don't fear it. I don't, if, if all of you said stuff it and, and take away my money tomorrow, it's, it's just not going to make a big difference to me. You know, and, you know. So as a result, I'm able to speak more boldly about things because I don't live. And plus, we don't have this thing where 20 of you can get together and vote me out. Lots of luck with that. All right? So uh, um, anyway. So... Um, and when I was with you and needed nothing, and needed something, he says, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Uh, as surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. He is boasting the fact that I haven't taken any of your money. I was able to boast that for 15 years. Now I can't boast anymore. All right, but it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, but to him, it was a really big deal. And clearly, with the attacks that he was getting. He said, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. In other words, this is something they can't say. And it gives me an advantage in my boasting with you and my position with you, you know. And, uh, and, and in a way, it is a powerful thing, and it is a good thing, and I've said it many times. Again, it's changed a little bit now. But, you know, I, I remember at one point in the church, you know, I was being attacked by all kinds of people. Listen, I haven't taken anything from anybody. Why am I doing this? 
It costs me more money to pastor uh, because I would make a lot more money if I didn't. It's true. Uh, some offerings that I get speaking in other churches, it's, it's serious jack, jack, you know? But I don't, I would rather do this here. Um, I could go on, I'll be like Paul, I'll speak like a fool and start bragging about stuff. It's not about bragging, it's just trying to make things clear uh, about, about the way that he lives. Uh, you know, I haven't taken anything from you. I haven't taken anybody's wife. I haven't taken anybody's husband. You've got to cover that nowadays as well. I haven't, I, I, don't, I don't take things from people. So what's the big attack? What's the big attack? You know, just because they get mad because it's something they don't like. I get we all like things. Right? And, and at times we get ticked off. If, if I have never gotten you upset, ever, you just haven't come long enough. Because <laughs> it's inevitable. I'm going to say something you disagree with, but I'm pretty clear about it. This is what I think. But I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> Peace. All right? So these guys, he says, I undercut them. I got stronger grounding because they can't say that because they do come in and they're wanting the money and they want the support and they like their comfortable lives. He says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful work. Not anybody gets paid as a false apostle. I'm just saying these guys. The guys he's talking about now, he starts describing them. False apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. There's some really bad guys here. You know, now he's starting to make it clear. Because that's probably, you know, what, what's the deal? Why is he so mad? Um, and it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Did you catch that? Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So he says, it's no surprise that his servants do the same thing. These guys come in, but they seem like such nice people, Pastor. Yeah, so's the devil. The devil can be rather impressive at times. You know, believe it or not, despite what we will see on Halloween with little kids dressed up as demons with tails and horns and so like that, that's not how Satan looks. In fact, of all the angels God ever created, he is the most beautiful. That's why he fell in the first place, because he was so gorgeous, he fell in love with himself. And then he was so gorgeous, he got a third of the angels to follow him in rebelling against God. Apparently, he's quite the stud muffin. <laughs> and I, I don't know at what level that you become so beautiful that it's be more beautiful than anything. That's Satan. You know, he's not a... Ah, right? He said, their end will be like their actions deserve. Those are going to get theirs. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's saying, look, this isn't very Christian. <laughs> but he's had it with these people. He is so ticked. See, apparently, you can even get a pastor ticked off. And Paul is ticked. Since many are boasting in the, way the, in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with these fools, with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you, put on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. He's being sarcastic. Very snotty here. Okay? He is ticked off. These guys are taking advantage of you and you praise them for it. You think they're fabulous. They're ripping you off. You think they're great. They are deceiving your mind. I don't feel deceived. <laughs> Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? I also, uh, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. See, what, what these guys were coming, uh, they would come into the Christian community and boast that they were Christian Jews. And right away, that gave them more of a, a, a leg up. There's still Christians to this day who get pulled into this thing. They think someone who is a Jewish Christian is much holier than an... That's not true. All right? But these guys, you know, I, I am, I am I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I am a child of Abraham. And of course, they're reading these Old Testament stories. They, Ooh, he's really got to be something. Paul said, well, I'm all of those things too. What's the deal? He says, uh, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk about like this. He says, I am more because I've worked much harder. And then he starts going into this list of stuff. These guys boast that they're serving God. He says, what am I, Swiss cheese? By the way, we're going to read 
in one of his letters where Paul talks about all his successes in life, he says, I consider them all to be a big pile of caca. But he doesn't say caca. Uh, and and by, if you Google it, you'll find out for yourself. We'll get there, you'll see it. He literally used the common everyday word for human excrement. The closest word we have starts with an S and ends with a T. Now, so why would he say that? Because in that culture, that wasn't considered true. But that's literally the word he used. Bible translators don't like the word. So they say, the new translations that we'll use. Paul says, I count it all as refuse. It's just not the same. <laughs> it's not. When he said, all my successes is a big pile of beep. Ooh, now we're hearing what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? So we'll get to that. Some highly entertaining things yet to come. So anyway, he says, I've worked a lot harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That was a typical standard beating. 40 lashes minus one, which if you can do your advanced math on your calculator, <laughs> you'll discover that happens to be 39. They would beat it. Now, if you've ever seen these pictures of people who get flogged, it's horrifying. They tie him up and, and they just whip at their backs. You see these pictures of slavery and stuff and how their backs. He said this happened to him five times. Holy cow! But we don't hear these stories in the book of Acts. We see part of them. Some of these stories we don't hear. Uh, and it's kind of a, you know, I wish we would. He's been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've had the snot kicked out of me. Three times I was beaten with rods. Ow! Apparently the flogging was enough. They'd take rods and just beat him. Holy cow. Once I was pelted with stones. At least, at least I was only once. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. We don't hear this. We know one time he gets shipwrecked. We're going to read in the book of Acts. It is the most story-like account. One of the most story-like accounts. I think it's probably the most story-like account in, in the Bible. Entire Bible. Most of the Bible say it's just a bunch of stories. If they're stories, they're the worst storytellers in the world. Because they don't tell you stories. They just said this happened and then that happened and that happened. It's like, well, well, well tell us more details, right? Because if I'm telling you the story, man, I'm filling in the cracks. You know what I'm saying? This happened and that. Look on his face. And then I thought this. Ah! You know, I'd, I'd pull you in, man. It'd be like a very cool novel. <laughs> but they don't do this. A few times in the Bible, they would really pull you in. But there's this one part. For some reason, when Luke gets to this story, he gets really detailed. It's about the shipwreck. And he starts telling about this happened. And then that happened. And then the wind started blowing. And everybody started freaking out. And they didn't know if we were going to crash. And then they measured the water, how deep it was. And it was so deep. And we went a little bit further. And they measured again. Now it's only a little bit deeper. And it's, oh, we're going to crash. We're going to crash. And then we crash. And everything falls apart. And then we all get to shore. We all swimming for our lives. It's cool. Wait till you get to there. It's, it's fabulous. <laughs> Most of the stuff just says, Paul had a bad day. They stoned him and he left. And I wish you'd tell us more because I would have loved it three times. I didn't hear about it three times. Uh, uh, so shipwrecked, I spent a day and night, a, a night and a day in the open sea. Was that, was that that one account? Do you remember? Was that a day and a night? I don't know. It didn't seem like when you read the story, it sounds like he just, they quick came to shore. So maybe this was another time. I don't, we don't even know these stories. I wish we'd hear these stories. Fabulous. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. Pretty much everybody hated him. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I would never want to travel with him. <laughs> he suffered terribly. He did. It was brutal. I say, well, why did he suffer? He suffered more than all of them. I don't know. All I know is when he got saved, was it the Lord who told him, I will... Sh uh, told the guy who's going to go pray for him. Tell him that he's going to suffer great things in my name. That was his calling from the beginning. God knew exactly what he was going to do. He was, the edge, he was the tip of the spear going into pagan areas and establishing Christianity. These pagans didn't like it. You think your parents get mad at you and your relatives don't like you because you come to this church. That's nothing. This guy, just he, it was brutal. So he goes and he's telling these guys, oh, we're really working hard for the Lord. He goes, Really? Let me tell you how hard I've worked for the Lord. 
And he goes through this list. And he says, I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all of that, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I don't feel weak. Who's led into sin? And I don't inwardly burn? It's the first time he ever admits that he would struggle with lust. I thought he was too spiritual. No. I'll tell you when you quit struggling with lust, guys. When you're dead. (laughs) Praise the Lord, that day's coming. All right. It's a struggle. It is. It is. It just is. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's just that sinful nature in us. And even Paul struggled with this stuff. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That we did read in the book of Acts 21st. So he's got all these stories. He's basically saying, you're listening to these guys. You're making them something. Because what, they're they're glitzy, because they're really good communicators, because they're really good speakers. Some of them are just out-out false prophets. They're taking stuff from you. They're living off the fat of everything you're giving. And you respect these guys more than me? You wouldn't even believe us if it weren't for me, he's saying. I started you. I was a father to you. And you get mad because I smack you upside the head because of the way you're acting? You're acting badly, but I have the right to do that to him. So again, so it's in this massive uh, um, you know, defensive mode talking into their lives. Uh, and he goes on. We're out of time now, but uh, we'll pick it up next Wednesday. He starts talking about some of the incredible visions and revelations that he's had. Stuff that would make most people so arrogant they couldn't stand themselves. But he stayed humble through all of it. And, uh, and through much of his suffering. And as if he didn't have enough suffering, he talks about one time, God gave him some extra suffering on top of it. His thorn in the flesh. This poor guy. Wow. Wow. Uh, it was rough. But he did it. And he did it faithfully and honored. And he's bragging about this. Because up at this point, we haven't even read about it in the book of Acts, most of this stuff. He's spilling the beans. Tell him, this is what I've done. And this is what I continue to do. This is my life. I have suffered. I have sacrificed. I haven't taken anything from you. Blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on. And he's just all to defend himself because there's this schism in that church where these guys are latching onto these other speakers they really like. They don't like Paul for whatever reason. They're criticized. They don't like that letter he wrote to them because it was real harsh. And, uh, and they're speaking nastily about him and criticizing him. And, uh, and he warns them. He says, We're gonna, I'm going to straighten us out when I get there. Now, we never hear what happens. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you should tell us what happens. I would love to hear what happened when he showed up. But uh, my guess is when Paul encountered a false prophet, uh, that was a pretty spectacular day. Right? I mean, the stuff that would happen. These guys were very powerful men in the spirit of God. And uh, I don't, I'm kidding around saying tar- turning him into frogs and stuff. I don't know what happened. All I know is that he was not a man to be trifled with. Uh, there was the great power of God on him. And he wasn't afraid of anybody. And uh, he warned them. He was sarcastic. Uh, you need to stop this. Because when I get there, I'm going to be kicking butt and taking names. And, and again, we never hear what happens when he gets there. But I'm pretty sure he straightened things out, at least for a while. Okay, so we'll pick that up. Chapter 12, next week, just two, two more chapters, uh, and then we'll go back to the book of Acts and read like half of a verse, <laughs> and then go to the book of Romans. There's a little part in the book of Acts there, it's, it's like this long, a little chapter right there, a little paragraph. In that paragraph, he writes all these letters, and it's, all, it's during this trip, they're just describing that little trip. In Acts, it just says he went here, uh, but it was during this here that he writes these letters. And pretty powerful stuff, all right? All right, so, that's it. I've got eight, seven, six, five. Talk about being right down to the wire. All right, you guys, don't forget your children. God bless you all. Oh, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. I'll pray for you, and then we'll go. Now I'm gonna go 10 seconds over. Thank you, God, for your kindness, your grace, and your mercies. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Help us, Lord, to be people that are humble and just loving and kind and not uh, to get to where our only final judge is what we think or what we approve of. Help us to be open enough to get input from others.
to take instruction, not to be harsh, judgmental to people. We all have our issues, Lord. Things get us mad. Help us, even when we're upset, to deal with it as kindly as we can. And help us to live the kind of lives that will bring you great glory for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, you may hang out for 15 minutes and then get your kids.